Okay. So we are in Nehemiah chapter 4. And, um, you know, as Nehemiah had the people, leading the people to build the wall, you know, when we look at the application, and hopefully you're seeing through the book of Nehemiah, there's a lot of personal application for our lives, like Gene said earlier, for today. Um, especially when it comes to when we are building walls. Now, when we think about building walls in our own life, building on our faith, what kind of things come to your mind? You know, Nehemiah, they were building a wall around um, Jerusalem for protection. Um, in the same way, God has us build up walls to build on our faith, whether it's, it might be marriage, it could be parenting, workplace, you know, all these things. And, um, you know, hopefully we're getting that, you know, the application for each one of us and how God wants us to build up walls, um, build upon the sure foundation uh, of Jesus Christ. And so it's amazing then uh, <clears throat> that we can read in the Old Testament uh, such a book as Nehemiah and the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts application for what we see, what Nehemiah was going through, the people going through. And we can always say that about the Word of God. And, uh, you know, that's something that's near and dear in my heart is that believers are taking that time to be in the Word of God for themselves, to devotionally read the Scriptures. There's times where God wants us to study His Word, and then there's times He wants us, and especially pastors and teachers, to, to be fed of the Word of God by just reading and allowing God to speak to our hearts. And He does, and it's amazing. I'm reading in Leviticus now in, on, in my morning time, and it's, oh, Leviticus. You know, No, it's, it's awesome. When I read how the burnt offering was you know, consumed by fire, you know, by the Lord, you know, after Moses led the people and everything's ready for the sacrifices to begin. Moses and Aaron is in the tabernacle and they would come out. It says that they bless the people and when they bless the people, God, he consumed the burnt offering. Now, isn't that amazing? Could you think about the people and when they witnessed that? Because you've got to think that uh, it's been building up for them. Moses has instructed them on in how they were going to have this worship. They were going to uh, instruct them of how Aaron and his sons would be dressed, you know, at the ephod with Aaron being the high priest. All of that and went through all of, you know, all of the offerings and all the little details of everything. And then here it is. It's time. And they come out and the Lord consumes the burnt offering. That had to be amazing. So I think on those things when I'm just simply reading the Bible. Yesterday, or a couple days ago, I was telling Jane, it's so interesting when you think about uh, the Holy of Holies, when they were building the tabernacle. All the work went into building this tabernacle. And even that name, Belzeo, I think that's how you pronounce his name, he was a, a fine craftsman doing the detailed work and everything, and he did all kinds of things. It's amazing his name's in the Bible. But anyway, if you could imagine when it says that, you know, everything come, it's ready. It's time to put the things in the ark. It's time to put 
you know, the lid on the ark with the cherubim and the mercy seat. And then it's, you know, everything's ready to go. To think of the ones who were putting that there, they had to take one last look at the ark while they could, right? So they're in the Holy of Holies. And then when they left the Holy of Holies and, and the veil was shut, it was closed, things changed. And the Bible says that is when the Lord, you know, filled the tabernacle up with his presence, with his glory. That fascinates me. You know, and it reminds me that, Lord, how do I apply this to my life? Well, we had a moment where God called us out of the world. That one moment when we recognized his holiness. And our lives have never been the same since. And God gets all the glory for it. So just simply reading the Bible, if our hearts are open. So I, I encourage you to encourage your brothers and sisters, family members, whomever, uh, in the Lord to be in the word, have that devotional time. So anyway, as we come to Nehemiah chapter four, so much being accomplished. And let's just dive in here. It says, now it came about that when Sambalet heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria, and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. And so here we have these two jokers, Sambalai and Tobiah. And they're not new to the book of Nehemiah, are they? We've, we've heard of these fellows before. We heard, uh, you know, back in, what is it, chapter 1, when they, uh, when, or chapter 2, when Nehemiah was coming to check on, check on the ruins of Israel and the Jew, Jerusalem there. And they were upset that they were actually going to come and check upon the people of Israel. So um, here they are furious and angry, and they are mocking the Jews. And um, it's interesting, one of the great uh, characteristics of Satan is that he always wants to mock God's people. And again, here we see that this anti-Semitism, it's nothing new in our day. It's the same old game plan that the enemy has. He's mocking God's people. And it's interesting in verse 2, when we see this, what, what are they trying, the mocking? What are they mocking here? They're mocking God, obviously, and they're mocking the Jews. But ultimately, what are they mocking when they say, can they offer sacrifices? When they offered their sacrifice, what were they actually doing? They were worshiping. So ultimately, they are mocking the worship of God. And I think it's interesting going back in the book of Exodus when God called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. 
it's interesting, maybe I shared this last week, it's really been on my heart, of how Pharaoh ultimately was wanting to keep the people from worshiping the Lord. Because remember, Moses was telling him, we need to go three days away to, to offer sacrifices to God, to worship him. And then all the plagues started happening, and then at one time, Pharaoh says, well, just the men go. And Moses said, no, all of us are going. And then it was one time, well, you can go keep the livestock here. No, we need the livestock for what? To offer sacrifices. So it's the enemy who is always wanting to prevent God's people from worship. And remember, that's why Satan had an issue with God in the first place. In heaven, as God was receiving the worship, Satan desires that he would be like the Most High God because he wants the worship. And we see that throughout the scriptures. Um, and, and ultimately, we see the anti-Semitism because if, if the Jews could be erased, you're erasing a lot of history. And if you relate, uh, you know, just do away with a lot of history, you can begin to erase God. And you see that in our culture today. You, the removal of God in culture. Why? Because you remove any reflection or any testimony of God and man cannot worship him. And that's why we're seeing our young generation. So many don't, don't know anything about Jesus. They don't, they don't even hear the Bible stories. At least 30 years ago, 20 years ago, kids heard the story. So we're seeing the decline of worship of God, which God's not surprised. He told us it would happen. So we have um, the mocking of Sambalai and Tobiah. And isn't it pretty petty, this Tobiah, the Ammonite? You know, even if, what are they building? Even if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Just like a little kid, you just want to smack him, I think, you know? Or you whiner, you know? But it's, it's the enemy. Now here's the response that's so important from Nehemiah. Hear, O our God, how we are despised return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity. Let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. So Nehemiah responds in prayer. This is what Dane mentioned earlier, what he took out of reading chapter 4, is that they learned to pray. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He didn't have you know, chapters filled with prayers like sometimes we read of the Psalms with, with David. But Nehemiah threw up them what we call Nehemiah prayers, quick prayers to God because he needed God at that very moment. And um, it's interesting, uh, I don't know, would you consider his prayer aggressive? I think some in the body of Christ today would say it's a little, wow, do you sure you got a heart for God and other people? You know? But ultimately, we have to understand what they were doing. I think Nehemiah had such great discernment. He knew this is the enemy. He knew this is spiritual warfare. He knew that is the devil wanting to prevent that wall from going up. And so he's aggressive in his prayer, praying in such a way. You know, it's interesting here, and I think it's a good application for you and I. Again, the Lord gives us those times when we need to respond, and it needs to be spirit-led. And that doesn't mean it can't be strict or stern and right to the point. 
But here we see Nehemiah, he, uh, he doesn't respond to the critics here. And the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteousness studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. And isn't that true? We look throughout the world today, there's so much just spouting off. I'm not even talking about adults, <laughs> you know, kids. You don't see Nehemiah, nor does he go to the people that he's leading to build the wall. Can you believe these guys coming here and saying these things? So, you know, I wish the Lord would just destroy them. You know, it's sad when people talk like that. It's sad when Christians talk like that. You know, say things about their spouse or their kids or, you know, it's just, it's from a heart of wickedness is what that is. Instead, he prays. And through prayer, he overcomes the situation. Just imagine all the work going on at this point in time of this wall being built. Then you have Sambalai and Tobiah. They come and they're causing distraction, causing fear. And Nehemiah, he prays and responding to them. And verse 6 says, So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. I'm convinced that this having a mind to work and overcoming the distraction from the enemy was a result of Nehemiah's prayer. And I think, you know, through prayer, trusting in the Lord, God was able to use Nehemiah to be that leader to continue on. Uh, but, you know, how do you define demoralize? What does demoralize mean? Beat down. Beat down, okay. Discouraged. Discouraged, distressed, discontented. No hope. No hope. Yeah, and isn't that what the enemy wants to do to you and I? And ultimately, what's he want us to do? Quit the work. Don't build that wall. And it's easier just to, and that's where too many Christians are, we, we just give up. It's easier not really living on the front lines. And it is easier. But man, we need to be on the front lines. Stand up for Jesus. So they had, and I think it's interesting, as progress was being made, that certainly had, you know, gave them some hope. Could you imagine seeing half the wall built? Now, we, we know how many days it took to build the wall. Do you remember? 52. So 52 days <laughs> with the tools that they had is <laughs> pretty amazing. To build, to get that, you know, they had a lot of cleanup to do to be able to get those walls set, to, you know, to continue on. And here we are. I don't know what the time frame is here, but half the wall is built. So I think that's a, that was a work of God. You know, they had a mind to work. So the Lord uses Nehemiah to continue the work. The people overcome. And, uh, you know, that's something, that's a word that, that should, you know, is near and dear to our hearts because we go through life in times that we have to overcome. And that's when, that's when we've got to trust in the Lord, trust in His promises. 
You know, Jesus said, in the world, or in me you will have peace, in the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And that's the great hope that we have. In Christ, we can overcome the world. So at this point, you might think, well, everything is going to go okay. The Lord's given them strength. The wall is half built. Pretty quick time. Won't be long. They'll have it all done, and everything will be smooth sailing for eternity. But nope, that's not what happens. Verse 7 says, Now it came about when Sambalai and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashodites, heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause a disturbance in it. Does anybody have the New King James? What, what's it say instead of cause a disturbance? Create confusion. Wow, that sounds like somebody that we read of in the scriptures, doesn't it? Satan. Satan loves to create confusion. <coughs> loves to create chaos. And so instead of things getting better, the opposition grows stronger. All of the people then, all the, the Sambalet, Tobiah, and the Arabs, they all hear that things are, you know, the walls being built. They know they're, the Israelites, they're going to be free to worship the Lord. And we've got to stop them. And so they try to stop them. Um, I think we can apply this to our lives as well. Whenever a work of God is being done in our lives, we can take it to the bank. There's going to be opposition. It's going to happen. You think of David when he was getting ready. You know, he he, he went to the, uh, you know, to, to the to the war where the uh, Israelites were battling the Philistines, and his brothers were there. You know, at this particular time, David already had an inroad with King Saul, and so he goes there. Remember Jesse, the father of David. He he you know sent food and sent it to Saul, and they'd bring food out to uh, uh, his brothers. And his brothers wanted to know why he was there. You know, God had already given everything David needed to fight that giant at that time. But his brothers opposed that. In the same way in our life, when God is doing a work in our lives, we should expect there's going to be opposition. And unfortunately, that op opposition can come from, you know, non-believers. It can also come from believers. And sometimes that's, that's hard to deal with, but it's reality. So in verse 9 it says, But we prayed to our God, and because of them we set up a guard against them day and night. So just wasn't Nehemiah praying, they were all, they all began to pray. No doubt Nehemiah leading them, but we prayed to our God, and so they set up a guard against them day and night. What great wisdom of Nehemiah to, to have this done, to set up a guard, you know, trusting in the Lord. I read this quote uh, a couple days ago, uh, speaking of believers. If we have no heart to pray, we have no mind to work. Isn't that interesting? If we have no heart to pray, we have no mind to work. 
Nehemiah was a man who understood that he had to have the strength of the Lord. He had to have everything of the Lord for him to accomplish what God wants, wanted to do in his life. And it's the same for you and I. We must be men and women of prayer, seeking God for strength, for power, in order to accomplish everything that he wants to accomplish in our lives and building whatever walls in our life at a particular time in our life. In verse 10 it says, Thus in Judah it was said, The strength of the burden bearers is falling, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Burden bearers. What does the New King James say? Laborers. laborers. Okay, so this is the laborers. You know, when it comes to prayer, the Lord said, or the word says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. So we see that's probably in Nehemiah's head. He's understanding the spiritual warfare of this and the physical warfare, the natural warfare. He sets up that guard, but here we read of, of the people. And what's this saying to us about the workers? And mind you, they just prayed. What's happened to the people here? They're discouraged. They're discouraged, right? And it can be discouraging trying to plow forward in the Lord maybe not seeing the results and always seeing the devil rear his ugly head. That get, gets weary, doesn't it? You know, they're wanting to have victory in the Lord, accomplish this great feat with the Lord's strength to have this wall so that they are secure and are in freedom to worship the Lord. And the people now are tired. They're, they're discouraged. Um... Did you see that? It says, yet there is much rubbish and we ourselves are unable. What's, what's that referring to? Okay, it could be. Okay, yeah, that's what I think it is. I think it's a distraction because the people, remember the rubbish? What would be the rubbish in the context here of they're building a wall? But if you go back to verse 2, when Sambalay was saying, um, can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? What's that, what's that referring to? Well, it's referring to the destruction of Jerusalem, destruction of the temple, you know, which would have been, you know, 170 years prior, if I'm thinking correctly, prior to this. Remember, they destroyed the temple. They destroyed Jerusalem, King Nebuchadnezzar. We had 70 years in the king or uh, in Babylon. It's been 100 years since, you know, with Zerubbabel and Ezra coming back. Um, to Israel and so we see they have their eyes on the rubbish instead of their eyes on the Lord and how easy is that for us to do isn't it we get our we get our eyes and we get focused on our circumstances and 
you know, allow the enemy to have a hold on us, to, you know, even a, a stronghold. And so here we see uh, the people are tired, they're discouraged, they're, they are weary. So what's good counsel when we get tired spiritually? Has anybody ever not got tired spiritually? <laughs> we want to talk to you very directly if that's the case. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we know what's coming. We know the Lord's coming, right? Um, I was talking to a pastor, and that great insights there, Millie, of, um, you know, looking at the world today and growing weary because you just, it's coming from many different angles. Um, I was talking to another Calvary Chapel pastor today and speaking of his community and um, they have a couple seeker-friendly churches that are just thriving. You know, they've got popcorn. He told me that a couple years ago. One church has popcorn during worship, you know. And <laughs> Praise the Lord! <laughs> well, they did last week. Oh, well. <laughs> so, but... And, and what that is a reflection is that so much of the church world today, it's entertainment. Mm -hmm. It's socialism. It, it's social hour. It's social hour. When it's taken away from the sovereignty of God, I think that's like chipping away at the very essence of who God is. We come to worship Him, not to have a little social gathering. We're coming to worship Him. Exactly. It's religious. That's exactly what that is. Yep. I had a visitor a few weeks ago ask me, what is the primary person or primary purpose of a believer? And I said, to worship God. It begins there. Anything in front of that's an idol, including church. We can make church an idol. We're lost if we don't do that. We have a, a really a threefold idea of our heart before God. Number one, we must worship Him. He is God. That's why God takes the time. That's why we, in His Word, He showed His people, as we read of it, He showed His people the importance of His holiness and that they are unholy and that there has to be sacrifice for them to be able to have this relationship with God. And of course, that all foreshadows Jesus, who's the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And once a person truly has that in his heart or her heart, that my God delivered me, that is the very first essence of worship. He did something for me that I could not do of myself. 
and this is what I'm created to do. Yeah, good point. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when we have an, what we would say upward calling towards God, we have an inward calling. What we're doing right here is an inward calling. This is discipleship. This is getting into the word and allowing the study of God's word to, to work in us and to have his way with us. It's classroom discipleship. And then when we leave this place, we go out, it's outward, and that we share with others, we live our life, we, you know, we let God make us be fishers of men. So it's upward, inward, and outward. You know, something else that I have seen and you don't think about, I'm not one to just talk to people, but like at school sometimes somebody says something that's not right, I don't even think about it. No, no, no. <laughs> Yeah. I'm so happy it does because I was yep. like, what would I say? You don't even think about it. You just know that's not what God's word says. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's being a light. That's being a light. That's light exposing, maybe not necessarily darkness, but air of truth. So we, we are called to do that. We're to be a light to the, to the world. So the people are tired, they are weary, they are discouraged. And then verse 11 is very interesting. Our enemy said, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. So our enemy said, they will not know or see. And what this is implying is that the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel were inside the walls. If you read on in the scriptures, it's crazy that Tobiah ends up having a room. I think it's Tobiah who ends up having a room in the tabernacle. And at the Temple Mount, you have, um, you have areas where they have rooms. You think of, uh, what's her name, Anna in the, in the New Testament. Uh, she was a widow, 80-some years old, and she, had, she served at the temple continuously. She had a room there. But here it, it's implying that the enemies of God were inside. You know, it said they're breaching up the walls. The gates have been repaired. The walls being built. And everything is, you know, starting to shape up. But the enemies were on the inside of the wall. And they were going to be very secretive about it. They won't even know. How much of that is going into the church today? You're seeing some very big name ministry leaders, pastors, that are, are going so far off the deep end, they are leaving the word of God. Uh, I've seen it. What did you say, Dane? I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm going to go there or something like that earlier i saw uh the gospel coalition you know it's got some big names tim keller and some others those guys are off base and they i read an article this week that the gospel coalition is wanting pastors to stay off social media 
Well, first of all, I read it on social media, so I don't know what's up with that. That's being a hypocrite. But there is an underlying work in the name of evangelicalism of moving this country into socialism. And George Soros and others have their money all over the place within the church, the so-called church. And it, it is like a snowball. It's, just, it's, it's getting bigger. It's influencing people. And it's people, you got, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, being so, uh, when it comes to homosexuality, they are, they're, you know, sympathizing with that. They're, they're not calling it out as sin. And it, it's sad, but we just see how it's all lining up. The Bible says that there's going to be this great apostasy at the end times, all leading up. And as you and I know, it leads to that one world religion. Within the church mindset, that's where we're headed, this one world religion. And you've got to do away with Christians then. Well, how will that happen? The rapture. And it's not going to surprise God at all. Right? And like Millie said, it does get weary, but we're not to give up hope. In fact, it's what, Luke 18, when we are weary, we, are, we ought to pray. <laughs> we can learn something from Nehemiah here. Well, remember the was it the Left Behind series? Yeah. That one pastor, he was still here. Oh man. They might be calling the squad to take a couple of them out because I'm sure some of them in that church is going to go. John, I was just thinking it, it says informants. So there were people within the community who were aware of what was going on, and they let the leaders know that it was mm -hmm. going on rather than just ignoring it. Sure, yeah. Assuming, well, I don't think they'll really do that. Yep, absolutely. And so then in verse 12, it, then it, to John's point here, it came about when the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people and families with swords, spears, and bows. Now I think it's interesting why it says ten times. So that tells me God is showing us something very important here. And it's like ten times, this many times, it's like the enemy trying to get man to fear. But God does not give us a spirit of fear, right? He gives us a, a mind, a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. Psalm 27, 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So then Nehemiah does something here. One thing we can look at Nehemiah and we can learn from his leadership. He's, here's a man who was a leader. God blessed him in being able to lead people. Obviously, he was a man of prayer. But some of the, right on the 
thought decisions that he makes in leading the people are fascinating. And here's another one of them. Right when all this has happened, the neighboring Jews, this is the neighboring Jews that come and tell them. The neighboring Jews encourage those working on the wall to just quit and come on home. So he hears of this, and again, the spiritual leadership from Nehemiah, he unifies the efforts toward the goal. The builders have been all scattered all over Jerusalem working, and now he recognizes the need of putting them together, and the families, as we read there in verse 13. And then he also says, when I saw their fear, so God gives him discernment of what's going on, and he sees his people, when I saw that they were filled with fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So he gives them this exhortation to get their eyes on the Lord, get them off the circumstances, get them on the Lord because you know he's awesome and great and you need to fight for your brothers. You think about Peter. Remember when uh, Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water. You know, he did, he did good until he got his eyes off Jesus, and then he sank like a rock. But the Lord was there, right? It's the same way in our lives. When, when our eyes are on the Lord, it's like we're invincible. Not in our own strength, but we know we have God with us. But when we're down and we're discouraged, man, we feel like whipped puppies sometimes. And that's not a lack of faith. That's reality. And God is so gracious to meet us. And the important thing is when we are discouraged, when we are battling weariness in the Lord, is that we keep going to him in prayer because we're trusting in him. And one thing that every one of us here can apply to our lives is that we can always look back in a way that God worked in our lives. We can look back. God's never failed me. Yes, he has allowed me to go through things, but he has always brought me through those battles and those trials. That's how faithful God is. He's faithful to let us go through trials, but he's always faithful to pull us through that, and we're strengthened and we persevere through that. Um, I'll never forget a time a few years ago, really in a, a, a bad time of discouragement, um, and just weary and tired. And I'll never forget I was in Haiti. And uh, just praying with some other brothers. And, you know, the one verse that the Lord had spoken to me, and I shared it with another brother, was Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. And it was so, that, that, was, that gave me strength. Well, as we're in the midst of, in Haiti, and going to the place where we were working, here's a guy over there sitting on like a little patio area of a house, and uh, he's got this cardboard sign, and it says, Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. We just looked at one another, and it's like, oh, just take me home, Lord. <laughs> but that's how faithful God is. He'll do those little things to show you. He has given us power, 
and he is with us. It could have been an angel. Could have been an angel. Um, so Nehemiah, he shares to them, get your focus on the Lord. Verse 15 says, It happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan that all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. It came about from the day on, from that day on, that half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. And those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built while the trumpeter, trumpeter stood near me. I love that passage of scripture. It speaks of that togetherness that we talked about before our, our Bible study. Working together in unity on a common goal is a wonderful thing in the body of Christ. When we're striving together for being in one accord to accomplish God's will. And it's amazing how God has orchestrated the the body of Christ. Every one of us here, even tonight, every one of us have different gifts and different things, different talents, different. We're not all the same. And it's to it's to make up the body of Christ. And it's amazing what was going on here and how they had their different weapons. And some were watching and some were working. And then verse 19 it says, I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and we are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. That's a, just that little sentence there. Our God will fight for us. That is true for Nehemiah. It was true for Nehemiah. It was true for Moses and Exodus. And it's true for every one of us. God will fight for us. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. At that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servant spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us night and a laborer by day. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who follow me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon even to water. So, Again, we see the, the great leadership of Nehemiah. And it's important in all of this, we think of the different things that they had to protect themselves. When you, when you apply that to our lives, what comes to mind? As we are building walls, we're working for the kingdom of God, we're accomplishing God's will, but what do we have to do as far as entering into that work and pressing forward? What do we have to have on for protection? from the enemy. The full armor of God. The helmet of salvation. You know, how many times in our walk in the Lord, when we're in the midst of a battle or just plain discouraged, that the Holy Spirit tells us, but you're saved. You're a child of God. And how many times is that enough? I'm one of his. I had a wonderful text conversation today with a young fellow who's not really living for the Lord. And that's one thing I told him. You are a child of the king. You need to remember that. And 
That's how the Lord speaks to us, isn't it? He, we focus on His promises, what He has said, what He's done, and it, it, it helps all the time. And then you have the breastplate of righteousness. We are righteous because of Jesus Christ. And we have the belt of truth. We have the, the shield of faith. We have the sword and the, and the footwear, the gospel of peace. We have these things, and we've got to have them on. And... Uh, you know, and when we do, sometimes we got to, I like to use the phrase, we need to strap up our armor, meaning we need to get a little bit more ready for battle because it's coming. Every morning. Every morning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. There you go. Absolutely. Praise the Lord. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that will, uh, you know, has so much application, doesn't it? Keeps us humble, keeps us accountable, and it gives us security when we know and live with the, you know, with knowing Jesus Christ is with us. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Nehemiah chapter 4. Uh, Lord, it's just a blessing to read uh, how your people came together in such a way against the opposition and to, to plow forward and get that wall built. We thank you for the examples that we have, Lord, to apply to our lives. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to teach us of Nehemiah 4 even this week, Lord. I have no doubt that we'll be in positions to... To hear from you, God, your your still small voice to encourage us, to uplift us, and give us the reminder of who we are in Christ. Lord, we thank you for your great love that you have for us. May you strengthen us tomorrow and the next day and the next day, Lord. And we look forward to coming again on Sunday to worship you. Father, I pray that you bless the people here. I thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness to your word. And we pray, Lord, that uh, they would be strengthened in that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.